Corinthians chapter 9 we're going to look at today. These two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, give help for forgetful givers. Uh, There'd been initial excitement uh, at the fundraising project that Paul had mentioned of uh, how he's raising funds amongst some of the churches in Greece to provide some financial help for the poor and needy churches in and around Jerusalem. And when he mentioned the project, there'd been just you know, great excitement, great enthusiasm. And yet, for some reason, as he headed off, they hadn't quite followed through. Now, this was a little bit tricky. This was a little bit embarrassing because Paul had basically left their church, just heard all the excitement, enthusiasm to give this project. He'd gone to the churches in the north of Greece, and he said, man, these people are so excited about giving. And, uh, you know, they, they, they can't wait. And, and, and the news of their enthusiasm had spurred the northern churches to go, well, we want to be part of this, Paul. We want to give. And so they'd given thinking that they were just following the lead of the church in Corinth and other churches, and it turns out that they hadn't quite followed through. So a bit tricky, and these chapters kind of deal with that tricky situation. And um, there's this potential embarrassment. You know, Paul had bragged on them about their enthusiasm. They hadn't followed through, and uh, they could look pretty foolish. Paul could look pretty foolish if they didn't uh, get on with what they said they were going to do. So what we have here is help for forgetful givers. You know, most Christians basically have in their heart a generous heart that we want to give, but somehow that good intention sometimes stalls, just like it did in Corinth. And uh, so let's just read this next section from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. So the right-hand column of the Bible, uh, little number 6 there, you're going to start reading from there. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's just take time to pray. 
Father, help us now to understand this word. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us fresh motivation from the gospel uh, to spur us to follow through, to be generous. Lord, give us uh, understanding uh, again. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity of investing this time to hear what your word has to say. Uh, pray for your help as a preacher that I would be clear and for listeners that you'd help them uh, even with all these distracting noises from outside. And we commit this time to you in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, why do we get stuck in our giving then? Uh, we want to give. Uh, we have the means to give, but we don't quite get around to giving. Why is that? I, I want to suggest that one of the reasons might well be that we, uh, uh, we don't understand the benefits of giving. We don't understand the benefits of giving. If giving our money is basically personal loss, then I think we're going to struggle to committed, ongoing giving. And so, the thing we need to realize is this first thing, that Christian giving is like a harvest. That's really the main point of this sermon. Christian giving is like a harvest. So look back at verse 6. In chapter 9, verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a, a simple principle, isn't it? It's learned from the farmer. You reap what you sow. The farmer uh, looks at his bag of seed, and from one perspective, it can look like He's making a big sacrifice as he throws this seed away over mud. What a crazy thing to do. I mean, you can make, you can make bread out of that. You can turn flour. You can make cakes. You can you do all sorts of stuff for that. What a crazy thing to do. You're throwing away that seed, farmer. But you know what? He's doing it with a big smile on his face. Why is that? Because he's anticipating the harvest. You know, he, he's, he's not thinking, man. Look at this, I'm throwing this away. He is thinking about the day of reaping. He's thinking, actually, uh, this small bag of seed is going to get multiplied at the end of this harvest. He's doing it with a big smile on his face. And that's what Paul wants to remind the Corinthians. I think what we need reminded of, that our giving is not a, a personal loss. We need to remember that Christian giving is like a harvest. Um, there will be enough seed at the end of the harvest, not only to make flour and bread for himself and others for a profit, but he'll have enough seed again to do it all next time around. And it's this principle of harvest that Paul wants to remind the Corinthian Christians. Now, a more contemporary illustration of this uh, is on the current TV show, The Apprentice. I must confess, I love this show. I can't believe where they dig these people up from. Uh, their supreme confidence uh, with amazing statements like, don't tell me uh, the sky's the limit when there's footprints on the moon. I mean, where do they get this stuff from? It's just amazing. Anyway, uh, people are competing to receive 250000 of Lord Sugar's money to enter into a 50-50 business partnership with Lord Sugar. So on the first task, Lord Sugar gave them 250 pounds each team to see what they could do with it. You see, before, he, before he's going to give them 250K, 
He's going to give them 250 quid and say, look, see what you can do with that. And they had 24 hours to take their 250 pounds, buy produce, and turn it into something that they could sell and therefore make a profit. And whoever made the most profit at the end of the day would win and the loser one would be kicked out. would see the finger, you're fired. So, I don't know whether you saw that, but uh, basically there was a, a bloke's team and a Sheila's team and uh, the Sheila's won, right? The, the women only spent 170 pounds of their 250 pounds, but they still made more profit than the men who'd spent, spent the whole money, right? Take from that whatever you want. But do you know, what was Lord Sugar's criticism? Do you know what it was? Why did you only spend 170 pounds? If you'd spent 250 pounds, you'd have made me more profit. Well, all things being equal in farming, the more generous sowing, the more generous the reaping. And so when we give as Christians, we should be thinking in our minds, we're not losing money, we're investing money, knowing that they will produce a harvest. So the question really is, as a Christian, um, how much of a harvest do we want to see? How much of a harvest do we want to see? Verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So they know about the relief project. He's reminded of the principle of harvest. And now it's just a personal challenge to each uh, Christian at Corinth. Each one should make a decision then about what he or she would like to give. When it comes to farming or financial investment, it's never wise to do it as an impulsive thing, a last-minute decision. Giving that merely kind of you know, empties whatever's in our pockets uh, or our wallets when a bag goes around is not joyful principle giving. Before the act of giving, there should be a moment of clear decision, the Bible teaches. Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give. It should be voluntary, eager, willing decision, not a reluctant one or under some sort of compulsion. Paul's not commanding them. He's not forcing them. It's entirely up to them, but he does want them to make a careful decision. Now, I've heard of some cults that go into people's homes and businesses and look at their incomes and look at their business books and tell the people the exact amount that they expect given to their cult. Now, that's pretty shocking, isn't it? Uh, That seems to be completely undermining of these biblical principles. But I just want to throw a pebble in the water for you to think about. I wonder whether it's time to rethink our tradition of passing a bag around in our public meetings. Of course, Christians might well um, make a principal decision and come prepared with money in an envelope ready to put into the offering bag. But I fear that this tradition of handing around the bag might actually undermine at times this biblical principle of cheerful, considered giving and be a way that some people might just feel sort of compelled out of social embarrassment to go digging in their pockets uh, for spare change in a reluctant manner because they'd never even thought about it, but suddenly, man, it looks a bit embarrassing if I don't do something here. I have to say, I don't see a biblical mandate for our particular tradition on this. 
And I fear that we might well be supplying a doubting, a cynical, non-Christian world, uh, those who attend, a means of discounting the Christian faith uh, as just a money-making racket for the pastor. Uh, I've been enjoying the fish and chips of one particular shop uh, on the south of Edinburgh, and I've got to know the guys there, Marco and uh, Luigi and uh, Margaret. And uh, I remember as I was chatting with them, Marco one day kind of came out what, what my job was, you know, that I was a pastor. What was the first thing he asked me? Do you know what was the first thing he asked me? Marco, doesn't go to church, laps Catholic. First question, you're still uh, handing around that plate thing, are you? First question. Isn't that interesting? He just thought I was on the take. And where do you live? Greenbank. Very nice. Oh. Jesus warned of the great dangers of giving in a public way, didn't he, on the Sermon on the Mount? Don't let your um, left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may give in secret. Do you know what? Even the Apostle Paul didn't seem that keen on passing the bag in meetings. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16. You'll find this on page 1157. 1157. I may, get, I may get beaten up by the treasurer today. Uh, although Bruce looks a very nice man, I'm sure. Page 1157. Um, look at chapter 16, verse 1. Now about the collection for God's people. It's exactly this collection that we're talking about in 2 Corinthians. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Isn't that interesting? Paul doesn't want them to be handing the bag around when he comes. Uh, you just be ready, and when the guys come, and if you, what you've saved up, you can just give to them. I, I, don't, I don't want the bag to be going around when I turn up. Well, anyway, there's a little pebble for the pool of thought. Um, you know, maybe a, a retiring offering would be more suitable for those who want to make a weekly offering. Uh, certainly setting up a standing order with the bank is a very discreet and considered way of going about giving. And when we do so willingly and joyfully as we anticipate the harvest, this is something that God loves to see. That's what Paul stresses back in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 at the end. For God loves a cheerful giver. Well, that's great, isn't it? But I don't know about you, but the, the question that was lurking in my mind as I study this, and maybe it's in your head right now, uh, is this question. Well, it's great to hear um, that giving's like an investment rather than a loss. Um, but what is the harvest that's reaped? Uh, what is the return on this giving investment? Well, there is so much unhelpful teaching on this point. Arguably, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, verse 6 is one of the most abused texts in North America. Um, if you have the misfortune of watching uh, any of the Christian TV from America, I would discourage it, basically. Uh, you will see many uh, so-called ministries that basically just tell you that um, uh, you can expect God to multiply that seed gift 
You, you send in that sea gift to their ministry and you'll get it back 10 times over. They turn giving into a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, give and you will receive. You know, just send it so the light will keep going out. You give and you will, you'll prosper. You, you, your, your bank account will be full. And isn't that what verse 11 says of chapter 9? Um, give and you'll get. Verse 11, you'll be made rich. Isn't that what it says? You'll be made rich. Oh, the secret principle of becoming wealthy. I could write the book, do the tour, move, start the ministry. And the gullible and the desperate don't seem to notice that it's the so-called preachers who seem to be the ones who live in palatial homes and who fly around in their personal Lear jets while their viewers continue to struggle. Remember, it's only the people at the top of the Ponzi scheme that get rich. So we need to read very carefully and see what these verses actually promise. What is the harvest that is reaped from personal giving? Got three points. Number one, more grace for more generosity. That's the first harvest. More grace for more generosity. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Well, one of the reasons is this. Giving our money expresses our trust in God to provide for the future. Giving our money expresses our trust in God to provide for the future. You know, most finance books will suggest that uh, for personal finance, you should set aside some savings for a rainy day. You should save three to six months of your income of, uh, as a buffer against illness or losing your job or some calamity. And it seems a very prudent uh, thing to do. You're preparing for the future. Well, so as we choose to give some of our money away, instead of adding it to our personal net worth, in a very tangible way, we're expressing our confidence that God can continue to provide for us in the future. And God loves it when we show our dependence and our trust in Him. He loves that. He loves a cheerful giver. Because we're saying, we trust you, God. We're trusting you with our money. We're trusting you with our future. And as we're about to write the check or put some cash in an envelope, there might be a lurking fear going on in our hands, heads. And uh, we might be thinking to myself, am I making a big mistake here? Am I, am I making a big mistake? What if I need this in the future? Now, the Bible's very realistic, and it, Paul deals exactly with that issue. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. He addresses that concern. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If you're on that uh, edge of the act of giving, of putting it away, handing it off, and you've got that lurking fear, well, know this. God has the power to take care of each one of us in the future. God has the ability so to uh, pour his grace and favor on our lives that we will be supplied with all that we need in all things, at all times, having all that we need. Did you notice the word need? 
This is not a promise that we will get all that we would ever want or desire. This is no prosperity teaching. This is not a promise that we'll all get a Rolex, a 3D 60-inch TV, an Aston Martin, a boat, and a mansion. No, it's not promising that. It's promising that God's grace will abound so that we will have all that we need. Some act as if hoarding as much personal wealth as possible will be the way that they will experience joy. That it's by seeking to satisfy every personal uh, desire that we will experience contentment. And do you know what? The evidence is, is out there and it's quite clear. It doesn't do that. Hoarding, maximizing personal pleasure is not the route to joy and contentment. Read any uh, biography of any film star, uh, wealthy person you care to mention. It is, it is not the way. In fact, they're just fretting over how everything they've got is corroding or losing. Who's going to steal it? Who's gonna... and, and it doesn't satisfy. Real joy and contentment comes from looking to God to provide for our needs, and then with the surplus that he gives us, that we have the privilege of giving it away. For those who are cheerful givers, he's able to give such abundant grace that not only will our needs be met, but that we'll have a surplus to give away. Uh, The New Testament has such an incredible view of what work is. Uh, The thief is told in Ephesians, stop stealing to get a job, not to provide for yourself, so that you can give away, it says. God will so pour his grace on our lives that we'll have all that we need, there'll be a surplus that we can give away. And what what, what this promised you, the harvest of giving, as we give joyfully, guess what? God's going to give us more grace so that we can be even more generous. That's what he's promising. Isn't that amazing? He's more than able to keep supplying our future needs and give us grace to keep on giving. This is the abounding life of of good works that's spoken of in these verses. That's what Psalm 112 is all about that was read earlier today. Uh, It gets quoted in verse 9. It talks about the life of the person who is right with God. And one of the evidences that we are right with God uh, and that we're trusting God is that we're generous towards others. Consistent, regular giving is just one of the hallmarks of a righteous person. Now, just in case, just in case there's any confusion at this point, let me just stress this point. Giving money does not make you right with God. You cannot give any money to buy forgiveness for your sins. You cannot, you know... God owns everything anyway, so you know what does he need, right? You cannot give to get this. We cannot buy forgiveness of our sins. We are spiritually, morally bankrupt. The only way that we could be made right with God, made right with God, was for him to send his one and only son to die in our place. To take our spiritual debt upon himself. He made himself poor so that through his poverty we might be made rich before God. And it's only through trusting Jesus Christ to forgive our sins can this debt before God be cleared, can we be made right with God, right? So giving money does not make you right with God. But guess what? When we are made right with God through trusting Jesus, one of the evidences of of this uh, righteous life is that we're people who are generous, that we give. It's 
just one of the little you know, spiritual health checks. Uh, uh, is this person a, a growing, living disciple of Christ? Uh, does he give? Yeah, well, that's great because that's, that's evidence of the sort of the life of a person made right with God. People who have experienced God's amazing grace know this, that we are blessed by God to be a blessing. Right? When you get God's grace, you know you don't deserve it. And you know that you've been blessed by God so that you can be a blessing to others. The gospel turns us out from ourselves, out to others, doesn't it? Sin is selfishness, self-absorption. The gospel transforms us to be loving, serving, givers who look outward. That's what the gospel does. And that's what verse 11 is about. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. If the Lord has made you fabulously wealthy, I praise God. Just know the reason why he's made you fabulously wealthy is because he wants you to be a really generous giver. That's why he's done it. And you know what? If we've paid the bills and there's money left over, do you know why he's done that for us? So we can be involved in this harvest of giving. That's why he's done it. More grace for more generosity. And I, I, I guess if we had the time today and we interviewed uh, Christians in this room, that we could hear testimony after testimony of how this has been true in their lives. And uh, if you're a Christian who for whatever reason has never got around to consistent, joyful giving, all I can suggest today is that you step out in personal faith and trust God and see if it's true. That's all I can say. You know, give it a go. In fact, Jesus, uh, God, God says this to um, uh, the, the folk through the prophet Malachi. God calls on the people to show their trust in giving. He says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you'll not have enough room for it. It's like a, God saying, Test it out. Try me. Uh, on a number of occasions in the past, um, I, I can recall times where I felt that I made you know, a generous gift to others, right? Uh, something that actually cost me something to give. And you know, it felt a big deal. It felt a big deal. And do you know what? I can think of three occasions where I've done something like that. And within a week, unexpectedly, I received more money than I'd given back into my account from different sources. Out of, you know, n- nothing I would ever... It just, God gave it back to me with extras. Now, I, I, I'm in danger of sounding like a TV evangelist here. This is, as I say, this is not a, a, a get-rich-quick scheme. All I'm saying is that test God, see what he's able to do. You know, he, he gave me more back so I can give more, I guess, yeah? But it was a way that God was saying to me, I think... Paul Reese, you know, you'll never outgive me. I, I can take care of you and your family. It's a great thing to learn to trust God in that way, isn't it? First harvest of giving, more grace for more generosity. Second harvest, more worship to God. Uh, second half of verse 11. So look at verse 11 again. You'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous 
on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Paul wants to remind them of this impact of their giving. What impact is going to have on these Jewish Christians and the churches in and around Jerusalem? Yes, this gift is going to supply the needs of God's people. It's going to do that. And they're going to recognize as they receive this gift that ultimately it's a gift from God. And it's going to cause an overflowing of thanksgiving and worship to God. This is one of the great harvests of giving that results in thanksgiving and worship to God. But there'll be another reason for worship of God, and it's there in verse 13. Because of this service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. There had been some Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who had real problems with the idea that these non-Jewish, these Gentile people, could really be part of the people of God without first kind of being Jewish. And, and so this gift that the Apostle Paul was organizing from these predominantly Gentiles in Greece to these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem was a big deal. It was a tangible sign that these non-Jewish Christians in Greece were the real deal. They were genuine Christians, really part of the people of God. And uh, Paul said that's going to be the result of it. This arrival of practical help would prove the genuineness of their faith and be another source of great praise and worship to God. So they're, praise, they're thanking God that their needs have been met, right? They've received this gift. They're thanking God that they're, oh, Lord, you're so kind to care for us. Thank you for this gift. And, Lord, thank you for these people who gave the gift. Lord, it's amazing what you've done in these pagan lives. He's taken pagan worshipers. He's made them into genuine Christian believers who who now have a new love and affection for the people of God and show it tangibly through giving. And they're going to praise God for that. They're going to worship God for that. And one of the great fruits of giving, the harvest of giving, is it's more worship to God. More worship for God's amazing grace in people's lives through the gospel We love to worship. Worship is everywhere. I caught a bit of the football last night. I I could not believe the amount of worship for these men. Men, worshiping men. Uh, Oh, Messi. Oh, Messi. What a player. What a player. Oh, Rudy. Oh, Rudy didn't do so well. But anyway, oh, Barcelona, Barcelona. Oh, worship, 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 worship. Right? Okay, we all worship. One of the exciting things about giving to the Lord's work is it will result in worship to the true and living God who gives us everything, whose grace provides everything physically that we need and yet in his amazing grace he has saved us in Christ and brings us together into churches and my friends the result harvest of giving of our money is more worship to God and there could be no higher goal than that. Thirdly 
the harvest of more gospel fellowship in verses 14 and 15. Can you imagine the impact of when this money arrived in Jerusalem? How touching it would be, how surprising for these Christians in Jerusalem to realize that there were churches in Greece, which was you know, a fair journey away, who were so committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ that they had voluntarily chosen to send this generous gift to support them in their time of need. They probably heard about these churches, but when this delegation came with the Apostle Paul bringing this gift, it put the relationship on a completely different level, didn't it? Suddenly, it wasn't just knowing about this place. Suddenly, it was experiencing a tangible way the love and the care and the support of this other church. I don't know whether you've ever received financial gifts from others when you most needed it. Um, it happened on a regular basis to us when we were studying at Theological College. Uh, we, we went to Australia. We didn't have hardly, we had hardly any, any savings, actually. And many times we nearly ran out of money. But gifts would keep appearing in our mailbox. Amazing. Now, if we went around the room, there would be lots of people showing stories like this. Um, we received out of the blue significant gifts that kept us going and enabling us to complete our studies. It was humbling. It was overwhelming that God should so practically care. That was what blew me away, you know. I thought God just provided for godly missionaries. And then when I realized that he actually provided for bozos like me too, it was overwhelming the grace and the kindness of God, right? Down to just such practical things. And it, 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 it resulted in great thanksgiving and joy. And, you know, although most of these gifts came anonymously, we had a sneaking suspicion about where some of it came. Do you know what? We became just a little bit keener praying for them. We did. We did. We just, we, we just had a hunch, and we just, like, Lord, bless them. Thank you. Thank you. It just, it just we were so appreciative, so glad. And that's, that's what Paul says is going to happen as a result of their giving. Verse 14, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you you, right? What an amazing fruit. What an amazing harvest of giving this is. This is what thrills and motivates Paul's heart in this giving project, in the way that this giving and receiving is going to bind these churches in Greece and Jerusalem closer together in this gospel partnership. It's going to tie them together, uh, even though racially they were in different places, culturally in different places, uh, they would be united in this profound gospel partnership through this practical, loving gift. This would serve to show their profound unity in Jesus Christ, a unity that comes from the gospel. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All of this flows from the, the giving God who gave Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. It all flows from the gospel, all these incredible things this great gospel fellowship. So what's the harvest of giving? Well, more grace for more generosity, more worship of God, more gospel fellowship. So the question is this. How much of a harvest do you 
want to see. That's the application, isn't it? How much of a harvest do you want to see? The seventh edition of Operation World that came out last year says of the whole UK, in the past I quoted statistics for Scotland, but let me give you the stat for the whole of the UK. Uh, According to that book, there are only 2.9% of the population who are evangelical Christians attending an evangelical church on a regular basis, right? Just under 3% of our nation attend an evangelical church as an indicator of living faith, right? And do you know what the current annual growth rate is for evangelical churches? It is zero. It is zero. We're just maintaining 3%. The harvest of gospel growth that makes disciples, that plants churches of growing worshippers who thank and praise God for the indescribable gift of his son, who have growing loving fellowship between churches in our city, our nation, our world. It will require many things, but do you know what it will also require? It will require finance. We need not merely to cover our own budget and our missions budget, but there is a need for us to fund the training and deploying of the next generation of evangelists pastors and teachers to assist the starting up of new churches here in Edinburgh, in Scotland, in the UK throughout the world Uh, there's a need to help revitalize older, struggling congregations and I want to just say today thank you to the hundreds who give regularly there are hundreds in this church who uh, Uh, joyfully committing to this sort of giving and you are enabling the life and ministry of this church and I want to say thank you. And I hope these sermons really have been an encouragement to you. A refresher, a reminder. Yeah, that's why I do it. I'm glad I do it. Right? But if that's not true of you today and you're a regular here at Shark Chapel, can I encourage you to prayerfully consider partnering with us through joyful giving. Um, There's this leaflet on the stairs. You can pick it up by setting up a standing order. Um, If you have concerns about your finances, that you're struggling with debt, come and speak to folk. We can try and help you to move, uh, make a plan to get you out of debt to be a place where your surplus is not paying the credit card, but it can be used for God's service. There'd be a number of people who'd love to help you practically with that. And when you see the harvest, does that not excite? Do you want to see more of that? Well, each man, each person should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray, shall